Wisdom through inquiry is what Pastor Scott has uh, charged Dr. Fogg and I with today. When I received the email back in July asking if I would share this space with Dr. Fogg, with the prompt of finding wisdom through inquiry, two reactions came to mind. The first is what a complete honor it is to share this moment with someone who takes life and the mind seriously. And the second, my second thought turned immediately to how I was to respond to this invitation and Pastor Scott's request. Uh, The only thing I could think of at the time was, it's about time, I get asked. (laughs) (laughs) Not only have I been here for four years and now have some things to say, uh, (laughs) but it's time that the conversations that Dr. Fogg and I have been uh, engaging in since my freshman year, um, along with the wisdom I've gleaned and the questions I'm still left with, uh, be heard, not only by my peers, by those, but by those that mentor and teach us as well. Uh, so with that, Dr. Fogg and I would like to engage each other in another conversation, very purposeful dialogue, in hopes that you two will be challenged, be unsettled, and uh, hopefully become unhoused from some presuppositions uh, that may lie with you. This format, uh, will, the format will be that Dr. Fogg will first ask me a question in which I will respond, and then my response will summon another question which I will uh, rebuttal back to Dr. Fogg in which she will respond to. In this, we wish to capture the moment of uh, vulnerability that we experience so often when we speak in the safe space of her office. I'm so grateful to share this time too with Danny and with all of you. And as Danny says, may the conversation be a blessing. Mm. So my question for you, Danny, is Uh (laughs) how do you experience God? And where do you find God? Where do you encounter the divine? Well, admittedly, this is a question we've talked about before and uh, one that um, I was able to mull over uh, the past couple of weeks. But before I start, I feel the need to caveat my response with explaining that usually when Dr. Fogg and I talk, I speak directly from what comes to mind impromptu. Uh, even though everything I will say here is very intentional, um, it feels as if the same sense of vulnerability uh, applies. For the staff and faculty, I come to you academically in my infancy. What I will say is not meant to be taken as what I know to be true. It is simply a state of the union on where my experience has led me up into this moment. And to my peers, um, I come to you as a questioning student who realizes that our minds change rapidly in this place and among these people who challenge us every day. I suppose the way in which I encounter and experience the nature of God has changed many times and will continue to evolve even more in the future. However, the way I'm encountering the divine today seems to resonate with me more than it ever has. And that is to live and to share in compassion with others is for me to fully encounter and experience the divine. That is to say, to exist with others in all of life's joys and sufferings, or to use Karen Armstrong's definition, to dethrone ourselves in order to make room for another is how I encounter God today. So simply put, for me, compassionate living is the way I fully encounter the divine. I'm going to ask you to remember that statement, compassionate living is to encounter the divine, because I would like to back up and show how the most current evolution for me has taken place. Recently, the dis connected encounter with the divine coupled with the distant experience of God 
which is a sentiment not unfamiliar amongst my generation, has admittedly consumed my spiritual life. No longer does the mediocrity of my unexamined Christian faith validate my identity as a Christian. And for that matter, neither does living in my hometown that is boldly monochromatic suburb that seems to be just as distant and disjointed from the nature of God um, as my generation does, and I. This conviction has led to a deeply Socratic and self-critical examination as to what it means to be Christian in the 21st century. I'll first speak as to what it means to be to experience God for me today, then I will move on into how I encounter the divine. Having a mountaintop experience is usually equated with experiencing God or having a revelation. Biblically, one reference to this is when Moses is at the mountaintop receiving instruction from God, then goes back down to the people to disseminate what he was told. Uh, many times, these mountaintop experiences are deeply personal, personal and fortified by the isolation they're experienced in. However, at some point last year, that claim, the claim that one can experience or commune alone by oneself with God on a mountaintop stopped resonating with me. Specifically, that confession to a God that is traditionally external to this world that intervenes periodically only to impose his divine will allows for the one confessing the creation of a blanket saturated with false security. This is a perpetual motion that sustains the role of God as a parent that watches over her children an antiquated definition of God that has become a modern disconnect for not only me, but many of my peers. Confiding alone in a God that seems to relieve all of the accountability of one's actions, moral dispositions, and deep presuppositions seems to be the ultimate get-out-of-jail-free card. And no matter how many one-on-ones I may have with this God, I and everyone knows that someday, while I'm still alive, the chickens will come home to roost, and I will have to reap what I sow because this is the way the world works. In terms of receiving grace and forgiveness from God, which is the main reason I confide in God, I submit that receiving it from living people around me, where in fact I encounter God today, is the true nature of grace and forgiveness. It's not by receiving it from a humanly inspired scapegoat, but by those that have the ability to love, to care for, and to be compassionate towards me today. The unsettling part about this is that I may not receive forgiveness or grace from the people around me. Then what? How then do I wrestle with the incredible insecurities of being human? Now it feels as if I've gotten to the core, below the surface of the world that is bearable for me, and reached a raw, unhousing, tragic sensibility of knowing that the world is unjust, the world is not fair, and the world is often too violent which doesn't make me a pessimist, but rather an opportunist. Another way I can describe this mountaintop experience is, is through the process of what it takes to climb a mountain worthy of experiencing God, Mount Everest. Any mountain climber here, one of which I'm not, will tell you that you cannot simply climb to the top of Mount Everest. You will likely suffer from altitude sickness. A climber must stop and camp four or five times on the way to the summit in order to adjust to the atmosphere and oxygen level. By the time the climber has reached the summit, they have adjusted enough to breathe at 29,000 feet. In the same way, when I confide alone with God on the mountaintop, after many years of doing so, there is a sense of being well-adjusted. After confiding so long to a God that provides instant relief of accountability, not so much guilt, but for my sense of responsibility, I too have become well-adjusted. Well-adjusted to the homeless person at the supermarket, thinking that that's just the way life is, 
which may be true, but I still have a responsibility to address that issue and give weight to that issue? Or is it that I'm well adjusted to the wars being fought around the world, knowing that at times people fight, yes, but I cannot stand idly by and not advocate for peace? This is not a leftist or liberal viewpoint. This is a human viewpoint, one which I find naturally within myself. It seems that I have often become well adjusted to injustice, as Cornell West would say, atop the mountain. And this is unsettling for me. When, can I, when do I encounter God? Or better yet, with whom can I encounter God? Suppose I change the definition of God and strip this external being of its supernatural power, which we have given it. What if then I begin to think of God as the presence at the very heart of life? If God is the source of life, which I believe God is, then for me, God is present in all living things. And if God is the source of life, then all, the only way I am able to worship God is by living, living compassionately or living fully, not being afraid to step out from the certain and into the uncertain, out from the comfortable and into the uncomfortable. And if God is the source of love, which I believe God is, the only way I can worship God is by loving, not by being right or claiming a monopoly on the truth. Loving because someone not, loving not because someone deserves it or not, but because love is what I have to do to encounter the divine. And if God is the ground of all being, then the only way I can worship God is by mustering the courage to question who I am and how I'm going to fit into this world. Whether gay or straight, transgender or bisexual, male or female, right-handed or left-handed, brilliant or not so brilliant. No matter what the difference is, realizing that everyone has something to offer in their own being is the moment I begin to encounter what I know as God. At this point, I want to throw the question back at Dr. Fogg and add a variation to it. Dr. Fogg, it seems lately in our conversations, you have lit up every time religious pluralism is the topic of the moment. So I want to ask you, how do you, as an empowering, empowering woman of faith, dwell within and respect your encounter with the divine through the Christian tradition, while at the same time honoring and fully acknowledging how others encounter the divine in their own tradition? As usual, it's a great question. <laughs> I think that two things are fundamental to the way that I honor my tradition, my home in Christianity, and the way that I respect other people in their traditions and their relationship to the mystery of God. So let me start with my own tradition. For me, being radically rooted in Christianity is critical. A radical rootedness in Christianity points me to scripture, where we hear the ancient confession of the one God. Deuteronomy says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one God. My tradition is fundamentally monotheist. There is one God. But notice, too, that my scripture says, Hear, O Israel. My Christian monotheism grows out of a Jewish monotheism. Two-thirds of my scriptures are Jewish scriptures. My tradition and my monotheism bind me by God's own choosing 
to a sister religion, Judaism. And if my Christian monotheism binds me to one sister religion, Judaism, this same confession that God is one binds me to another tradition, a sister religion, Islam. If I look closely, my very belief in God draws me into conversation with these two traditions, these two religions, to learn from them about their service and worship to God. Now, being radically rooted in Christianity also means that I am sustained by the living waters of Christ. In other words, the incarnation of God in Jesus is fundamental to how I understand God's relationship to the world. I serve the God who fundamentally seeks relationship with creation. We hear in John that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the word was God. And then it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When I confess that God is seeking relationship with creation, with us, I must also confess that this is incomprehensible. God's being and relating are ultimately beyond my understanding. God is not me. God is mystery beyond me. I am too small to fully comprehend God. My mind, my heart, my eyes, my perception, my culture are too small to comprehend God entirely. This is why the incarnation is so important. Without God's self-revelation, God would remain unfathomable. Which brings me to the second part of your question. If I am radically rooted in Christianity, how do I respect the integrity of others in their understanding of who God is and their seeking after the divine? One word, humility. The vast mystery of the living God calls us to radical humility. I do not worship a small God. I will not worship a small God. If God is truly God, then my God is broader, deeper, vaster, more awe-inspiring, and more encompassing than my mind can comprehend. And if this is my God, then God's ways are also broader, deeper, more awesome, more encompassing than my ways. Far be it from me to limit God. Habakkuk says it in this way, what use is an idol once its maker has shaped it, a cast image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in what has been made, though the product is only an idol that cannot speak. Alas for you who say to the wood, wake up, rouse yourself. Alas for me too, if I say to my own idea of God, the idea or belief I have created in my mind or has been created in me by my tradition or my religion, this is God. If I cling to that simple understanding of God that I have in my mind, if I reduce God and domesticate God, if I forget my smallness next to God's vastness, then I end up determining what God can do, whom God can relate to, what people can rightly worship God, and this is not up to me. If I forget my humility, my humanity, my createdness, all of this before the divine prerogative, I not only tell God whom she should be 
but I assume to know more about God than I do about, or than anyone else does about God. And then, when I tell you that my God is the right God, and you are worshiping a mistaken understanding of God, I commit idolatry of a very basic kind. My image of God becomes my God. Far be it from me to limit God. And far be it from me to limit the way that God chooses to relate to you. I fundamentally believe as a radical rooted in Christ Christian that imposing my claim to know exactly who God is and how God is is a form of idolatry because it domesticates the living God. Sorry, Danny, this is another long answer to one of your good questions. Thanks for hanging in there. I respect other religions and I respect other people's formulation of the mystery of God, not because I believe that there's more than one path up the mountain to encounter God. Very honestly, this is not for me to decide. But I respect other religions because my Christianity tells me that I don't have an exclusive claim on God's own mystery. God is bigger than my Christianity. But there is another important point, and that is that my Christianity tells me that an incarnational God who chooses to reveal God's self in a young Jewish man 2,000 years ago might also choose to teach me something in my conversations with those around me who differ from me in their faith or their religious tradition. God often infuses pluralistic and multi-faith conversations between neighbors with wisdom and insight. Danny and I have learned from each other in many long conversations, as I have learned from many other students and many of my colleagues and those of you I teach with and work with every day. I know many of you are learning about faith and belief and wisdom and right living from each other in your conversations. This is a blessing. We grow in wisdom through shared inquiry. And the vast, unfathomable God draws near to us when we listen to one another. May your conversations grow in your shared wisdom and expand your understanding of God. May God honor your faithful and your shared inquiry. Amen.